Hello and welcome to episode three of Crazy Pastors. I'm your host, Christopher Cass. And I'm your other host, Ronnie Marriott. Welcome to part three of the series that we have entitled Staff Infection. Uh, Yuck. Yes, it is. It's a terrible thing to go through, but there are some practical helps that you need to know about, and we're going to talk about those here today. Today, in this episode, we're going to focus on how do you hire the right people. And so in that vein, Ronnie, let's start with a case that you and I both know about, and it really encompasses a lot of the problems that happen in hiring and church staff today. So let's kind of walk through this, share some history. Okay. Uh, that there was a candidate at one point that we wanted to bring on staff, young person, yes. super, super talented. Super talented. And what happened? Young in ministry, yeah. You know, had some experience. Um, had served another church served in another the same church. capacity. So, yeah. So we felt good, vetted this person, many conversations with this person, and felt like uh, he would have been a good fit for the need that we had at the time and just a part of the team. So he, you know, pretty much checked all the boxes. And so we presented that to a committee that had been formed in our church that under the bylaws as they were before was part of how people were hired at the church. That was the the team that made those decisions. And so when we presented this candidate, they shot it down. Now, a, a point of just clarification on this, the people that served in that committee were all very smart people. Yeah. They were all very godly people. Loved the church. They loved this church. So it's interesting that there's there's nothing in that to say that these were bad people, mean people or, at no, all. These no, were no, no, great no. people. Yes. But it it does speak to the problem in general when a church has a committee that they form that may or may not have any HR experience in the corporate world, probably have no experience in the HR world, HR side of the church world, and yet we give them authority to make those types of hiring decisions. It can cause some tension. Yeah. Definitely, and because part of it is just the different ideas of who needs to be in that position, what type of person, and so everybody kind of has their profile of what they're looking for, and you know every church probably wants that A player that's got you know forty years experience, but he's right. twenty five years old or she's twenty five years old. So just that that concept was existing even among that team, but the reality is we had someone that I mean honestly from their perspective was kind of a risk they were fairly new into ministry. Right. But they didn't know what we had seen and what we had heard from this person, even though we tried to relay that, and even with him, tried to relay that, but it just didn't quite connect. Well, and I think what you said also is important, that as a church member, I want the best possible, most experienced person in every single position that I have uh, on a team, right? Yeah. But a church our size, with as many uh, employees and ministers that we have here, you can't have A-plus uh, you can have A-plus potential talent in every single role, but just from a compensation standpoint, you can't bring in the all-star team that played in the middle of the baseball season yeah. and make them one team. Just the salaries, just it's, it's impossible to do. Yeah, I mean, even the context, right? I mean, we were both new here, um, fairly new on the scene, following a long-tenured pastor in a historic church. So there's some, you know, some... I wouldn't call them red flags, but there's some concern with all of that. How is this going to go? Typical church transition right. after long-term pastor, the next guy's there 18 months. 
So to ask someone who's experienced and seasoned in ministry to come take a chance on that, that is a big ask. That is a big ask. And just kudos to you real quick. I mean, you're getting ready to celebrate five years. Five years. I never thought you'd make it past two. So congratulations. <laughs> well, thank you. Well done. So after that person that we had brought in got rejected, we went. We submitted to that authority yeah. because it was our constitution and bylaws. We went back to the drawing table. We submitted another candidate. Yes. Uh, and then that candidate also got rejected. Right. Yeah, so yeah, a little bit frustrating because doing following the pattern that had been set before us and still didn't work. Right. And so finally, ironically, what happened is that we resubmitted the very first candidate and we also went through the process of uh, changing our constitution bylaws, changing some of the hiring practices within the church. Yes. And I have to brag on this person now. We probably don't want to say his name, but he is a rising superstar in ministry. He's now serving yeah. in his second role on our staff. Yes. Uh, and uh, he will continue to escalate uh, in his responsibility because he is something special. Yeah, he did a great job in the role that we initially put him in. And it wasn't too long before we realized, okay, we need to give this guy more. He needs more in a, in a bigger role. And he's been killing that too. So it, was, it, it, it does a hard good to know, hey, we invested and pushed and believed in this guy, right. he has definitely come through for it. There's a phrase that I heard uh, a pastor in Colorado say to me over the phone when we were talking about a, a church-related issue. He asked me just point blank the question, who are you lending your credibility mm. to? That's a great question. And as seasoned ministers of the gospel, uh, you with much more experience than I have, <laughs> uh, but we do three need... Months. To, we, three months. No, not here. Oh. You've got a decade and a oh. half on me. Wow. Uh, you're the senior pastor, <laughs> but who are, who are we lending our credibility to, to help pick them up and bring them up through the pathway of development? Yeah. I mean, it, and there were moments, you know, <laughs> you, you kind of felt that clinching going on because we are investing and promoting this person. And there's always that chance this person is going to fail or do something yes. uh, that's, that's embarrassing. So it's, it's still a risk, even though we felt like, very felt very strongly that this was the right person. But, you know, you, you go on faith, you go on trust, and sometimes you have to course correct uh, when it goes off course. But having all those tools and parameters in place is, is very helpful. One of the guiding principles that you and I use is something that we have coined as the tissue match. Tissue match, yes. Right, so if I have to get a kidney, I hope I never need another one, but if I need to get a kidney, then uh, I will give you one... one <laughs> One way to do it is take any kidney that exists in humanity and slap it in and hope it works. I have right? three. Yes. And that is a model, actually, that a lot of churches employ. Yeah. Just, you, you need a student pastor, here's a student pastor, yeah. he'll take the job, put him in, coach. Hey, right? come be our kidney. <laughs> but the problem is that if the actual tissue does not have a DNA match with your body, then your body is going to reject that kidney. So for us, it's just so important that we have a actual tissue match for uh, our organization because the way we lead uh, the DNA of our entire church, it's all very, very unique. And I think that's what gave us confidence in this young man yeah. is that he was a tissue match for what we were trying to accomplish. Yeah, we got the chance to observe uh, and as well as discuss and, and get to know the person because he could definitely do the job, the job description part of the job but also that it's a fit part is, is the vision. And that's why it's so vital that the pastors involved in that process, that, that staff, executive pastor, 
because you can try to relay that to church people. And again, well-intended, great hearts, love the church, love the Lord, want the best, but they're not going to fully grasp what that vision is to see if that person fits as a tissue match. Absolutely. Well, Ronnie, you may not know this, that today we're introducing a new segment in our show entitled oh. Go or No Go. Love it. Is that what we decided Love to call it? Things. Go, no go? Yeah. I think so. We did. This, in this segment of the show, we're going to highlight movies, books, podcasts, other resources cool. that we found helpful or that we found lacking. Yeah. So today we're going to start off with books, okay. right? So Ronnie, give yeah. me a go, no go. Just one. You don't have to do both, but give me a go, no go on a recent book. Okay. First, it'd be interesting to see if our podcast ever makes someone's go, no go list. I imagine the no go is going <laughs> to win on this one. <laughs> Yeah, so a book that's been very impactful for me <laughs> as a pastor and leader is The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. If you know her story, incredible story transformation, all through the hospitality of a pastor and wife. She was very mm. anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-church, and this pastor and his wife just, they weren't trying to debate, they weren't trying to prove a point, they just wanted to get to know her. They appreciated her writing skills and just invited her over for dinner, which started a relationship. And through that, she uh, came to know Christ. Ended up being hundreds of dinners. Yes, yes, hundreds of dinners, and now she is a crusader for Christianity. And so just part of that is the power of hospitality. And interesting enough, read that book before COVID hit. Right. And so one of the things that, that kind of translated to for our church to keep us going and motivated was this idea of being the church on your block. So because we were church meeting in hundreds of locations and homes and pastures and driveways, we had that concept, hey, you're still the church. Church is not this building where we meet regularly. You are the church. Now go be the church because especially in a time like that, people are in despair, anxiety, stress. Mm. They need to know there's a there's a solid foundation somewhere in their neighborhood. And, of course, you know, with distancing and masking, still we can be hospitable. And I think it's important for Christians to realize that these people who are maybe far from God, not believers, they're not stats. They're not numbers to, to bolster our numbers. They are real-life people. And if we'll treat them like real life people, that opens all kinds of doors to be able to share our faith. I, was, I, think, I thought that was a great book too. Yeah. I, I appreciate very much you turning me on to that book. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that she said in her book that really impacted my life was that your home should be the church on your block. Yeah. That the people in your neighborhood right around you, they should uh, know that if they're in need or if they have a want, that they should be able to come to you as the church on the block to get help. I, I thought that's brilliant. Well, and I like because it's more of a laser focus. I and mean, we always talk about we want to save the world, right? Well, right. That's, that's huge. But how about just saving the folks on your street? Let's just talk about that. Or just at least representing Jesus, cause, causing them to be curious. Why is this person so different? I'd really like to know more. Because we've all gone through this worldwide pandemic, and this person seems to have some security and confidence that I don't have. I want to know why. Well, I remember when you preached on this, I don't know how long ago it was, but it was right when we had this massive shortage on toilet paper, right? It was scary. It was, that was a weird season of life. Yeah. And I remember uh, David Couch on our staff, uh, he heard that we had a need for toilet paper and he happened to be in a store and saw this huge industrial size mega pack of toilet paper. Wow. And he came over and dropped it off to our house. Now, two things occurred. One is that we felt loved in that. Yeah. And then our, as a family, we sat down and decided how much of this toilet paper that we've been given should we give away to our neighbors? <laughs> and so we then, and it was a debate. It was a yeah. discussion. 
And then we went door to door and handed out rolls of toilet paper to our neighbors. Wow. And I don't know, 18 months ago now, yeah. the impact that has had on the, the, the feel of our neighborhood, totally different. Wow. Uh, opened up a lot of doors for conversation. So your book should be The Gospel Comes with Toilet Paper. That would be in the, the old twist. Uh, <laughs> that would be a great book. And David, by the way, almost lost his life trying to get that mega roll out of the store. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's attacked. Well, you know, I also have a book, How Ronnie. Thank you, you for asking. Do you have a book you would go I, no-go list? I do. Uh, I'm going to go back about three years. You know, I have a lot of books that I read, and so, but this one... Three years ago, I started reading. I've handed out at least 100 copies to pastors in our area. It's been that impactful to me. It is called Canoeing the Mountains by Todd Bolsinger, oh, uh, out of yes. California, Presbyterian pastor. Yeah. Uh, for all those who who uh, read that book, let me forewarn you <laughs> that the book literally starts with two pastors were in a bar, yeah. and then he goes through and shares. It's, it's just a great read. PG-13. Yeah, oh, very much so. But uh, in it, his whole, what, what he's trying to express uh, is that in the church, we have to be prepared to lead in chaotic environments, which requires adaptive leadership. It's a very, very practical book, has very simple ideas that you need to follow. And one of the things that really helped me with is uh, there's a phrase that we use on our team all the time, on our staff, yeah. that leadership is disappointing your people at a rate they can absorb. Yeah, that's a good one. As long as you are leading, you will be disappointing your people. <laughs> and true. now that's a that's a painful reality. It's a painful reality. Yet it is true. Yep. The same way that we disappoint our children when we make them pick up their rooms and work on their studies, uh, we will also uh, disappoint the organization that we lead over time as we lead them to something better. Yep, which a lot of leaders drop the ball with that one. They do too much, too quick, too soon, too fast. And that causes collateral damage. The so, rate they can absorb. Yeah. That's the point. So that, that's my book. I really encourage you to go out and, and get that and read that. See, I thought you were going to talk about your original copy of the Dead Sea Scrolls. No. That's not. Okay. That's next Is week. Is that a go? Okay. Yes. Yeah, we'll talk about that next week. All right, Ronnie. So, so far we've been talking about uh, how a church should hire. Yes. Uh, let's take a moment here and talk through uh, what are the things that, someone that is looking for the position that's going through the interview process, what should they be thinking through, looking for? What are some of the red flags they should be looking at? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you want to get as much data as you can about the history of the church. Good data leads to good decisions, right? We say that. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. So finding the growth pattern, the attendance pattern over, you know, I mean, 10 years, you don't have to go back to the, you'd have to go back 136 years here. So what, what is the trend? How has it been going? And that gives you information to be able to ask good questions that could help you understand better what's going on. Right. Now, if it's been a negative trend over the past 10 years, that's not a deal breaker. Right. That may attract certain types that like to come in and fix your upper. Kind but of what if they have no data at all? Well, that's a, that's a warning sign. Why are they not willing to share this with you? They don't have any attendance numbers, nor can they produce budget and giving numbers. Well, and I think it's also important to get that on paper because they'll tell you things. What they believe, well, for example, interviewing with a church one time, they told me a number of what they run. Well, that was their Easter number. <laughs> it wasn't the real number. <laughs> and so I get it. Okay, this is, not, this is not right. But let me see that on paper. That must have been awkward in view of a call. Yeah. <laughs> when you showed up and only a quarter of the people you expected were there. Yeah, yeah. We've had a lot of deaths. But, um, yeah, so it was, again, they, they thought and the, the way they think. Again, they weren't trying to lie to me. It was just like, yeah, we've seen that number. 
So having a paper of finances, you know, it's interesting to know where the budget is directed. I mean, we talk about that. You can know a person's heart by where their money goes. Well, right. you can do that with the church as well. Where are, they, where are they investing their money? And so just some of those ideas to see. Again, they may be red flags, but you may be attracted to that because you're good at helping in those areas. Well, l- let, me, let me point out a couple of things that I think are just massive red flags yeah. uh, that I would be wary of. Uh, the first is that if a church does not talk to you about money in the first or second conversation, then that's a hard no for me. But that's been typical. I mean, usually they wait till, the, till everything else is settled and then, oh yeah, we can only pay you this much. And that's just crazy to wait that long. I think that's actually negligent in the hiring process. Yeah. So not only is it a hard no if they won't talk about money in the first two, because if they won't talk about money in the first one or two uh, meetings, yeah. then imagine what's going to happen when you have to come back three years after you've been hired there and say, hey, you know, I need to talk about my compensation and getting a raise or talking about what the plan is for my future, yeah. right? So it's, it's just important. We don't do the work of the gospel for money, but it is a valuable affirmation yes. of our work that we do, and it is a church's responsibility to provide that care yeah. to us. Well, it says a lot, you know, and, and they have limits, you know, but there are creative ways to compensate. And just to see that heart, you know, I was a part of a committee one time early on that we were looking for a position, and one of the people on the committee said, well, when he went into ministry, he knew he wasn't going to make a lot of money. <laughs> but, you know, that's okay for him to say. That's not okay for us to say. So, but that attitude exists. Yeah, and there is creative, uh, you know, creative financing. Yeah. You know, there was a, I, I went to work for an organization that had a very small budget, but they had also a wealthy donor yeah. that paid a large signing bonus yeah. so that I didn't break their budget when they brought me in. Yeah. So those kinds of things, you know, you can do that. But money has to be a conversation. It has to be because you got to take care of your family. Yes. Because if you can't do that, it's going to add extra stress and it's going to impact your ministry. I would also say reporting structure is a deal breaker for yeah. me, right? So that if you are not reporting to, if you're a pastor and you're not reporting to another pastor, assuming you're not the lead pastor, yeah. right? Right. Then that that's problematic. Yeah. If you're reporting to a committee, mm. um, I'm not sure that that's a healthy environment. So yeah. I know that's stepping on a lot of toes. Uh, especially in historic traditional Baptist churches that have personnel finance, and that's a lot of them how they still do it. But, guys, we got to get better at this. Yeah. I mean, my, my two big categories are always leadership and quality of life. Oh, If I'm allowed to lead, and, and like I said, structure, how does that happen? What does that look like? Uh, and then quality of life. Financially, for one thing, but also the area where you're going to live and what you're going to be able to afford and schools. I mean, just the whole nine yards. The otherwise thing I would suggest for uh, people looking at a church uh, and also for the committee, interview the spouse. Mm. You need to talk to the spouse about, because it is a package deal, though you don't pay for both, I get that, but you are bringing a family as a team, and they need to understand, and you need to hear from them what are their concerns. Yeah, I mean, certainly you need to be having some dinners and some meals, and you you need to see the family unit in operation together. Yeah. You know, that, that's yeah. an important part of the interview process. Yeah. Uh, the, the whole quality of life, I can't, I, I'm so grateful you mentioned that. Yeah. I cannot think of the hundreds of pastors I've talked to in transition from one position to the next that I've talked specifically about quality of life. Yeah. And so if you are considering a position at another church and your entire family doesn't dig it hmm. and you can't imagine you waking up incredibly excited to get to go do that, 
then you need to say no. Yeah. Right? And the last bit of advice I would end on this one if you're interviewing is that uh, I think I think too many people believe that there's only, if they're presented three potential jobs, they're going to pray, God, please lead me to the right one. Yeah. And uh, I'm of the opinion, actually, and you, you know, my, my pastor, you may correct me on this, <laughs> Uh, but I, I genuinely believe that if we are honoring the Lord in our lives, that whatever we choose to do vocationally, he is going to honor and bless that. So it's not necessarily there's three choices and one is the best. Yeah. I think God's going to bless you in any of those. Yeah. So have freedom because it is a choice. Yeah, I think, yeah, obviously the Lord appoints us to places. It may be more of a type of church. Uh, like I said, some love churches in transition. Some love uh, big challenges. Some love following churches that are well established and, and growing. So it kind of fits who you are, and that those are important questions to consider. That you know, coming out of seminary, is that thought: well, you got to go pay your dues. You know, you got to go to a terrible church and a terrible place and a terrible town to pay your dues. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that's that's not necessary at all. That's why so many drop out early on in ministry because they that was the concept. That's. That's terrible. Absolutely. Don't do that. that. And thank you, Ronnie, for sharing those things. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Crazy Pastors. As always, if you have a crazy pastor story to share or you would like to discuss a specific topic, please email those to crazypastors at firstburleson.org. If you have a complaint, a criticism, or anything like that, please send those directly to Ronnie Marriott (laughs) at firstburleson.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. (laughs) 